Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Each one of those seven ands is God saying, you know, but wait, there's more. <laughs> and so he says, uh, first in verse 17, notice he says, I will even gather. So what does God do? He calls. He calls to come, come, gather, come for the circumcision of the heart. And notice in verse 18, it says, and they shall come thither. That's man responding to the calling of God. That's man coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice in verse 18, it also speaks about what man does, and they shall take away. That's man responding by turning from sin. That's man's part. God calls, man responds. Never believe anyone who takes away man's part in responding to God. Never believe anyone who makes fatalistic statements that absolve man of his responsibility to come and to repent. Never believe anyone who absolves man of that responsibility. God, in his sovereignty, has crowned man with the sovereignty of choice. And man must on his own respond to God. Faith is not the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. Now notice in verse 19 the words where it says, and I will give them one heart. God gives. This is a gift of God. This is not what's in man. God does the circumcising and then he puts in a new heart. That's a gift from God. We have a new heart to love God as a gift from God. That's why if you want to turn or not, but anyway, Psalm 51.10, when David was repenting of what he had done with Bathsheba, the wife of uh, Uriah, and he said in verse 10 of Psalm 51, create in me a new heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. That was David's prayer to God, to create in him a new heart. David used the word create. David used the word bara, the same as the second word in the Bible, Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. And in the creation, we know, we studied it, that God created out of nothing. There was nothing that he was working with. There was nothing at all. God just spoke and nothing became something. And David was saying to God, there's nothing for you to work with inside me. Oh God, when you're working with my heart, you have to create from nothing because Paul put it this way. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, no good starting materials, no good thing for to will is present, but how to perform the good I find not. David was saying to God, his heart was dirty and he needed for God to create a clean heart. His heart was dirty. He was asking God to create a clean heart in him. David was saying to God that his heart was dirty. Why was his heart dirty? Because his heart wanted to take a walk on a rooftop on a hot night in Jerusalem where he knew that windows would be open and he was likely and hoping to see some naked lady. And that was David's dirty heart. That's the same dirty heart that wants to take a walk on the internet, hoping to see some naked lady in pornography. The problem is a dirty heart. The only solution is for God to create, to bra, a clean heart. 
And then notice he says back there in Ezekiel, and I will put a new spirit. That's God's work of putting. He puts a new spirit. That's his placement work. And then he says, and I will take away the stony heart. God takes away the old man, the old non-responsive man, the old man that doesn't respond to God, the old man that is non-responsive. The old man that says, I don't care about God. I don't care what he wants. I don't care what he says. I don't care. That's a stony heart. And God said, I'll take it away. I'll take it away. And then he says, I'll give them, again, the gift of God, a heart of flesh. So God gives a tender heart. God gives a sensitive heart. God gives a heart that says, I do care about God. God gives a heart that says, I do care what he says. That's a heart of flesh. And then notice in verse 20 where the words it says that they may walk in my statutes. That's a new way of life. That's a new way of thinking. That's a new walk for us. And then in verse 20 where it says, and they'll keep mine ordinances. That's a new concern in our lives. That's a new concern. Say, you know, if I do this, is this going to violate God? Is this going to make God angry? Very important rule in life. Don't make God mad. Is that going to happen? And then notice in verse 20 the words it says, and do them. That's a new set of works in our lives. And in verse 20 it says, And they shall be my people. That's a new identity for ourselves. Who are we? We're a child of God. That's also a new name that God calls us. He said, that's my son. That's my daughter. That's a new name. And last but not least, really the most important, in verse 20, the last words where it says, And I will be their God. And that's a new name. We look at God. We saw the new name for ourselves. We're a child of God. We now look at God and we say, He is our God. He's my God. And when people say, just say, Oh my God, oh my God. No, this is reality. My God, this is my God. And a new name that God calls Himself. God called Himself here, the God of Abraham. He calls Himself God of Sam and Joe and Tom and hope he does. No, I'm just kidding. But remember the verse that described us like Lot, a captive, you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your heart, of your flesh. Those two descriptions for us in Colossians 2.13 is that we were dead in our sins. That described what we had done. We were uncircumcised. That described our lack of heart for God. We were not dedicated to God. And that's a picture of Lot being carried away by Kedilo-Ermer. So what happens? Abraham comes. Abraham comes, and it didn't look like he had any chance. He conquers Kedilo-Ermer, who held Lot. But what happened with us? The Lord Jesus Christ came, and it didn't look like he had any chance. But he conquers the devil for us, the devil who held us. And Abraham delivers Lot from the power of Kedilo-Ermer. And what happened? The Lord Jesus Christ delivered us from the power of the devil, which is in the chapter before of Colossians 1.13, where it says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And what did Abraham do when he came back from his victory? Abraham returns as the great victor now, the great victor, and the king of Sodom comes out and welcomes in, in Genesis 14, 17, and he says, oh, he says, that was the slaughter of Kedolo Ermer. And that was, became known. And what did the Lord Jesus Christ do when he came back from his victory over Satan? As we just read it, he having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He made a show of them openly. He triumphed over them. It was a great open public display, a show that he had triumphed over Kedolo Ermer, over the devil. 
And so Abraham returns with this reputation, new reputation. He is the one who was responsible for the slaughter of Kedoloamir because of what it took. That's what it took to deliver Lot. And Abraham had to do what Job said was necessary. He had to break the jaw. He had to break the jaws of the wicked and pluck the spoil out of his teeth. And when Abraham delivered Lot, he had to break those jaws of Kedoloamir. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. He broke the jaws of the devil so he could deliver us. Now, verse 14, it says, When Abraham heard, he armed. Abraham, we've seen before, here in Genesis chapter 14, verse 14, he goes off, we saw this, he's fearless, breaks the jaw of Kedoloamir, and we saw before, that's not the same Abraham. That's not the same Abraham we saw in chapter 12, cowering behind the skirts of Sarah, his wife, uh, saying, take her, take her, save me. Uh, Lie, you know, say you're my sister. So what we saw in these three chapters is that chapter 12, we saw the call of Abraham and the fall of Abraham. We saw in chapter 13 how God repaired Abraham. Abraham found his reparation at the altar where he confesses his sin, he's forgiven, and he's changed into a new man. And then in chapter 14, we see a new man, a new Abraham emerge on the scene. And all these chapters together, as we think of them, 12, 13, 14, are an illustration in the life of Abraham. Please turn to this verse that it illustrates, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is what's illustrated by these three chapters here of Genesis 12, 13, and 14 in the life of Abraham. So, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This verse is a description of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, first of all, the word if. That word describes the condition of the gospel. The gospel does not benefit everyone who hears it. There is a condition, and that's just given to us by the word if. Then the word, notice the words, any man. That describes the universality of the gospel. The gospel is for any man of any race, of male or female, of any status in life, of Jew or Gentile, can benefit. Any man can benefit. It does not benefit every man because of the word if, but it can benefit any man. And then notice the words, be in Christ. That describes the position of those whom the gospel benefits. Who are the people that the gospel benefits? They are the ones who are in Christ. It only benefits those who are in Christ. Like Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. I remember the first time I was in Japan and... A Japanese businessman asked me, are you a Christian? He should say, are you a Christian? You know? And I said, yes. And what it really means to call ourselves a Christian is it become, begins an import when you're in a country like Japan where nobody's a Christian or a, le- a very small percentage are Christians. So you say what it means here in the U.S. has become a little bit watered down because everybody's a Christian. But anyway, but what does it mean to say I'm a Christian? It means we're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That name Christian Christ is a strong tower, and to be in, or to be called a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to be in Christ. The name is a strong tower. To be in Christ is to see that the value of our lives, the whole value of our lives, is the outworking of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in us, coming out through our lives. That's what it means in Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ. 
to die is gain. To be in Christ is to see ourselves as dead to living to ourselves for what we want and to live in a total dependence on him. That's what it means in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He lives through me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith or the trust or the belief in the Son of God who loved me gave himself for me. Then notice the words, he is a new creature. That describes our new identity. A new identity for us, for us benefiting from the gospel. In John 1, 12-13, it speaks about receiving him, as many as received him. To them gave he the power or the authority to become the sons of God, even to them to believe on his names, which were born, new creature, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And they see themselves like a newborn babe, like it says in 1 Peter 2, 12. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. We see ourselves as new babies, and we do what new babies do. They desire milk, we desire the word of God so they can grow. Yesterday I had a very nice meeting with our newborn granddaughter, Kate. She's now two months old at my grandson's five-year birthday party, and a pool party. And little Kate and I had a, a nice communication together. She has a different language. We're both trying to figure out if we're going to learn each other's language. But for the meantime, we just looked at each other. And as we looked at each other, I could see Kate was single-focused. I mean, I was thinking about it. You know, what is it like for this little, about this big? And uh, life is very simple for Kate. Kate's life is all about milk. That's all it is. Kate lives from feeding to feeding, from nursing to nursing. When Kate is fed, she's happy. (laughs) When Kate wants milk, everybody knows it. So we're sitting around the pool, and after Kate had been fed, Cheryl was holding Kate, and she was looking at me, and I thought, she's going to look at things until she gets hungry, and then she'll go back to nursing. So Kate's life is just one big nursing episode. (laughs) made up of individual feedings separated by intervals of life experiences, like looking at me, quite experienced. Anyway, that's how this verse is describing us in our lives. Our lives are one big feeding on the Word of God, made up of individual feedings separated by intervals of life experiences in between our feedings. Like Kate's desire for milk is her overall desire our overall desires for the Word of God. That's what it means to be a new creature. That's new. To be a new creature in Christ is for us to be like newborn babes and desire in this way the sincere milk of the Word. Now, notice the words that says old things are passed away. That word describes the distaste that the gospel has now created or produced in us. Habits of life are distasteful. Liquor is now distasteful. It's not interesting anymore as it used to be. Movies that have swearing and taking God's name in vain, they're not interesting. They're distasteful now. Changes in taste are happening now. Las Vegas is not an exciting place anymore. What used to interest us, what used to excite us, are just old things that are just dying off. They're passing away, and they're not interesting anymore. Then it says, behold, that's the surprise of the gospel The person who the gospel is benefiting is surprised. He's surprised by not only how the old things are dying and passing away, but there's a surprise of what is now called all things. Those words, all things, describes the entirety of the gospel in a believer's life. The gospel is affecting all things in the life, not just religious things, but the gospel is entering into every door in life. Even the doors that are marked personal don't enter. 
The gospel is going right into the doors of the business life and the marriage life and the entertainment life and the thought life. All things expresses how the gospel is penetrating through every area in the life. And when the gospel enters those doors, it makes big changes. Like the time when I went away and Cheryl got into my study when I was away and she made big changes and made all kinds of decisions. She, she said to herself, well, he has several of these things. He doesn't need this, so I'll throw it away. <laughs> this needs to be organized, so I'll go over here. This is filthy, so I'll clean this. And when I came back home, it took a little while to get over the shock of it all. <laughs> she had, <laughs> all things became new. Anyway, but, she, but I recognize she did it because she loved me. And that's what the gospel does. It is the work of the loving God. It does in the believer's life. And the result is become new. The words become new. That expresses the goal of the gospel. The verb tense there and really is all things are becoming new. It's a process. That's a process we saw with Abraham. Chapter 12 of Abraham was a coward. But in chapter 14, that coward man was an old thing that passed away. And now chapter 14 is a new thing in Abraham, a courageous, brave man. And so Abraham comes back, he's rescued Lot, and now we want to look at this from several points of view. First, Abraham's point of view. Let's look at this great rescue from Abraham's point of view. Before this tragedy, Abraham's life was a life of abiding, in chapter 13, of abiding in Jehovah Jesus by his altar. He heard that Lot was taken, he's filled with the spirit of Jehovah Jesus, he knew God wants him to rescue Lot, he goes off. And he leaves with a lot of questions. Abraham has a lot of questions. And think about if it had been us in Abraham's position, knowing the what we must do. Abraham knew the what he must do, but he had no idea, no clue of the how he's going to do it. Or or put it in our terms, we know what we must do, but we so often find ourselves not knowing how we're going to do it. And when Abraham heard that Lot had been taken captive, he thought of a lot of things that he had to do. A lot of things he had to do. He thought a lot of things that he had to do meant he had a lot of questions for how he was going to do that. For all those questions he had to do, he had one answer. For example, first question, how was Abraham going to do the thing of convincing all his 318 men to go into battle against tens of thousands? Answer, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ that strengthened me. Number two, how was Abraham going to do the thing of practically running his army for an exhausting two weeks to overtake Kedol army's army? And during those two weeks, how was he going to keep his army of 318 from deserting him? Answer, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Next question. And during those exhausting two weeks of fast-paced march, how was Abraham going to do the thing of keeping his army not only intact, but then able to, to catch up with Kedolo Armir? And how was he going to do the thing, the big thing, of slaughtering these tens of thousands with just 318 men? Answer, answer, answer. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, how was Abraham going to make sure that a lot stayed alive through this great slaughter, which would have ruined the whole venture? Again, Philippians 4.13. And we think, we think of Abraham, of all these issues, and we say to ourselves, we got issues? <laughs> Abraham had issues. And God replies back to us when we think we have issues in life. I put a chapter in here for you. He put a chapter in here for me, chapter 14 of Genesis, so that when we think we got issues, we can see Abraham had issues. 
And for all those issues, when Abraham's on the trail, at night he would put his head on his pillow and do all those questions of how, 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 how am I going to do this thing? How am I going to do all these things? And Abraham just slept like a baby. Why? Because before going to sleep, Abraham would say, I don't know how I'm going to do all those things. But one thing I do know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Abraham didn't pace all night back and forth in the camp, worried about how he was going to do this. He just slept like a baby because Abraham was kept in perfect peace because he wasn't thinking about himself and he wasn't thinking about his issues. He was just thinking about God. And what Abraham thought about God, God the great general in heaven, the great commander, says, look, do you see my servant Abraham down there? He's keeping his mind on me. He's trusting in me. He's keeping his mind on me. Set a garrison, God says, around Abraham and keep him in perfect peace. Just as it says in Isaiah 26.3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on there because he trusteth in thee. And the garrison sent by God kept Abraham in this perfect peace. And Abraham's 318 men looked at Abraham when he was sleeping and when he was awake, and they saw Abraham's being kept in a peace of God. And they said, I can't understand it. It's not explainable. With all these issues that he has to deal with, how can he have this peace? It's not understandable. It passes understanding. And they were saying, Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep or garrison your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So when Abraham reaches back home, in verse 18 of Genesis 14, it says he brought back all the goods, and the people are rushing up to Abraham and saying, Abraham, you're such a great warrior. Abraham, you're such a great strategist. You're such a great organizer. You're such a great rescuer. And Abraham says, Psalm 115.1, Not unto me, not unto us, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name. Give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. And every time someone would say, Abraham, you're such a great... Abraham would immediately say, praise the Lord. That's what he'd say, deflect the praise. Now, when the reporters came to Abraham, and he comes back, and they want to interview Abraham, so they said to him, Abraham, tell us, how'd you do it? How'd you do it, Abraham? Abraham would say, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And Abraham looks back on all that happened, and he says, that was really something. Boy, that was something. And I wish that was written down for other believers so that they could read what God did. And God says, I got that covered, (laughs) Abraham. I'll write it down. I'll make it, let's see, chapter 14. (laughs) And it says, in Genesis, so that thousands of years later from this point, there's going to be a small group at the chapel on a Sunday morning, and they're going to read about what I did for you, Abraham, and how you put your trust in me. Now, from the point of view of the 318, they look at this, and the interviewer comes and says, okay, tell us your story. Tell us what happened. And they say, there's just one word that we have to say to describe what we saw. We were inspired. Inspiration. Our eyes were on Abraham. He inspired us. He had such a confidence, such a peace. He was rock solid. He was 100% transparent. He was honest with us. He wasn't silent. He told us that he didn't know how God was going to do the impossible through us, but he said that God didn't need us to know for the how. And so he's whole, he kept saying to us things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. His confidence was inspiring. It was inspiring. And so we were willing to walk right into the jaws of death with our leader, Abraham. Oh, and one more thing. There was a peace that we saw in him that was 
ununderstandable. You couldn't understand that. And they would say, and now I'm a believer in the God of Abraham because he's made me glad. As it says in Psalm 126.3, the Lord hath done great things for us whereof we are glad. Last, king of Sodom comes out. He's interviewed. From his point of view, he says, I don't care how he pulled it off. All I know is that there's something in it for me. And God is not going to be considered in me. He says, call it lucky break. There has got to be some other explanation for what happened. I will continue my lifestyle of homosexuality. And I don't want to have to deal with God and stand before him. So it cannot be God, whatever happened out there. And he's the description of Psalm 14.1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, or literally, there is no God for me. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. All right, well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for inspiring us this morning with what you've done in the life of a man who gave himself wholly to you. Help us, Lord, to be children of Abraham. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event, including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.